Revelation 13 is where we're at today. And you can uh, crack those Bibles open to the last book of the Bible. And uh, chapter 13 of Revelation, we're going to look at verse 9 through 18 today. Will you stand with me as we uh, read the scripture? And by we, I mean me. Um, it gets weird when we're all reading different versions and at different paces and whatnot. It says this, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Boy, this is going to be a good one, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Lord, we just thank you for your word. From Genesis through Revelation, God breathed. We thank you for the holy men of God who were carried along by the Holy Spirit and wrote as you gave them utterance. And Lord, we just pray that we would have those ears to hear that we read of this morning, that we would just be able to comprehend what your spirit would say to this church today, that we would have humility. We know that there's a lot of different kind of interpretations of this, and yet there's no private interpretation. There's not um, just this one um, odd, oddball idea out there that's counter scripture. Lord, we want to be just in line with the rest of your word so that we can have the revelation of Jesus and see how you win and you vanquish your foes and you defeat the enemy and you set free the captives. And so, Lord, would you do that in our midst today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. In one of our finer moments of rock and roll history, we have an emotional ballad called The Purple People Eater. It was a novelty song written and performed by Sheb Woolley, and it reached number one in the Billboard pop charts in 1958. Both in the United States and in the UK and in Australia, it topped the charts. Let me just give you a little sampler of this just incredible 
song. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had the one long horn and one big eye. I commenced to shake it and I said, ooh-wee, it looks like a purple people eater to me. It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. one eye. I said, Mr. Purple People, what's your line? He said, eating purple people, and it sure is fine. But that's not the reason that I came to land. I want to get a job in a rock and roll band. And then he went on his way, and then what do you know? I saw him last night on a TV show. He was blowing it out or really knocking him dead, playing rock and roll music through the horn in his head. This is like pre-drugs, I think. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. And yet, here we are in Revelation, reading of a vision, the third one so far of a great beast, okay? In chapter uh, 12, we read of a great dragon that John the Revelator saw, and through Simple Bible interpretation, we have found that this dragon is that great serpent of old, the deceiver, the slanderer, the uh, accuser of the brethren who goes before the throne of God day and night and accuses the saints before God. We know him as the devil. We know the dragon as that serpent, as Satan. And then in chapter 12, we see that 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 devil dragon was standing on the beach and he brought up out of the sea another beast um, really the first beast the dragon now the beast and this beast we studied last week and just trying to be good bible studiers good bible interpreters not trying to be weird sometimes it's inevitable but it was there in chapter 13 that we were introduced uh, to the antichrist and actually it was kind of a secondary introduction. We saw the Antichrist in chapter uh, 5 as he's riding on the white horse, giving a bow with no arrows, and a Stephanos, a temporary crown on his head, and he had come to uh, conquer. And uh, and then we, we see him now arrive in this parentheses of the book. It's within these brackets, if you will, that kind of is telling what's going on from a distance, from an outer look, What's happening during the tribulation period? And so we saw the Antichrist involved and how he's, he's ruling and he's coming to reign and he's going to be setting up this empire and he's, he's wanting to come really in the place of Christ and receive worship. And just a little review, Antichrist, it means in place of Christ, okay? And so he's a guy that's coming and he wants to have the glory of Christ. That's his game. That's his thing. Uh, I think it was in that uh, purple people eaters. Hey, purple people eater, what's your line? You know, I don't know. That's old talk for like, what are you up to these days? You know, and if you were to ask uh, the dragon, what's your line? He'd say, hey, I want to ascend to the position of the most high. I want to be God. I want to be worshiped. And that's how he was kicked out of heaven and became uh, uh, Satan as we know him today. So he's that first beast at the beginning of chapter 13. And now we have the second beast that we read of as we are standing here this morning, okay? The second beast. And in a way, the second beast is what we would call the anti-Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, He's come in the place of the Holy Spirit. 
He's been called the false prophet in the scripture. He's been called the trusty lieutenant or the beast's backer, all right? Just as the Holy Spirit has come in our day to testify of Jesus and to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has spoken and to help convict men's hearts to turn to Jesus, so too in the end times, there's going to be a guy that comes on the scene and his role is to get people to follow the Antichrist, to get people to worship the Antichrist and to be a part of his rule, his dominion, his economy, and his religion, okay? Um, And so just as in the 1930s and 40s, Joseph Goebbels was Hitler's right-hand man. He would promote Hitler. He's the reason Germany loved Hitler. Uh, So too is this second beast uh, coming not out of the sea this time, but coming out of of the land. So um, it's been said by H.A. Ironside early on in the 1900s that this serpent seed... Remember back in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the first gospel where God preaches the gospel that the seed of woman, and we know that to be Jesus, is going to come and he's going to crush the seed of the serpent, which is, uh, serpent would be the devil, and the seed of the serpent would be the Antichrist. And in that, that's the process that we're seeing happen right now. And so the serpent for millennium has been known as this occult. He's been known as this esoteric religion. And he's going to bring that on, uh, on the scene. So let's just look at verse 11. We'll kind of get into this. We'll break it apart. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. This is another beast. It means another like the same kind. The first beast was the Antichrist. Here comes another one. He's going to be of the same substance. He's going to be the same sort of fellow. But this time he's coming out of the earth. And when you study scripture like this, the earth is a symbol of Israel and the sea is a symbol of the nations and all of the Gentile non-Jewish nations. And so uh, it's believed that the Antichrist will rise up out of the the Gentile empires. Uh, He may have a little bit of um, Jewish blood, Uh, as you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, But this guy that we're reading of today, he doesn't come out of the sea and out of the land of Gentiles. He's going to come out of the area of Israel. And, uh, And he has two horns like a lamb. And he spoke like a dragon. Um, Now, when you study scripture, horns speak of um, authority, and they specifically speak of kings, okay? So he may have some sort of backing of two kings, or as uh, one writer wrote that I was reading this week, uh, lambs have two horns, and he may just have two horns in this image. But he has lamb-like horns, which speaks of lamb-like authority. Lambs speak of sacrifice in religions, and so this guy, and you just, this is, we're looking at the whole of what we know of this guy, and even what we're going to study today and what we're going to study in the, the days to come, this guy is going to be over this world religion that the Antichrist is going to set up. And so the fact that he's represented as a lamb just speaks of his religiosity. And so he's got lamb-like horns, he's got a lamb-like authority, but there's something different about this lamby looking guy. He's got speech like the dragon. Okay, now just 
imagine that for a moment. And with the help of Hollywood and with the help of cartoons, we've got all kinds of of funny shows that come, like, for instance, The Secret Life of Pets, you know, where a little bunny rabbit, you know, hops out of, the, out of a manhole and throws his carrot up in front of a truck, if you've seen the movie. And little bunny rabbit, right? He's just so cute. And I think he blinks, like, two times, you know? And then all of a sudden, he talks like this, you know? And so, cute bunny, voice that doesn't go with cute bunny, right? In the same sense, here we have a, a, a lamb, a little lamby, probably something special, during the tribulation period, you know, but he speaks like the dragon. Okay. So use your imagination. What does this look like here? Jim Hamilton said, watch out for lambs who talk like dragons. Okay. Not something you want to get wool from. He will be Satan's religious mouthpiece. This beast known as the false prophet in revelation 16 13 it says i saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet okay so these just there's just such demonic wicked activity happening from the devil satan uh who is the anti-father from the antichrist which is, he's, you know, he's in place of Christ. And then the anti whole there's so much wickedness going on. Six, chapter 16 says just demons come out of, of these guys, the false trinity there. Verse 12 in our text today says, so this is our lamb, this is our uh, second beast, lamb-like dragonish thing. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound is healed. So he'll be in the presence of the Antichrist. He's causing, this this cause means he, he assigns to task and he makes people worship the first beast, the Antichrist. The word Worship is proskuneos in the Greek, and it means to bow down and kiss and to pay reverent homage to. And so this false prophet, his job is to get the world, the earth, the nations. And it's within this chapter that we see uh, the nations and the tribes and the tongues, those people that God has desired to redeem from wickedness for the, for the course of eternity. We see the Antichrist and his false prophet causing those nations not to go towards Jesus to be redeemed and saved, uh, but rather to go towards peril and to worship um, the Antichrist. And so uh, there's this uh, desire within every human being. There's this created thing within us because we were meant to worship. We are worshipers. And at the end of the day, we are going to worship somebody or something and of course the desire of the creator is that we would worship him he made us in his image at the beginning of time so that we would reflect him and that we would go about uh, doing things that represent him bringing his glory across the planet and giving him much praise and thanks and yet in our wickedness and in our rebellion we decided to lift up ourselves and the god of self 
and the God of people, the God of places, the God of things. The book of Romans condemns us in chapter 1 by telling us that we exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God and we began to worship and serve created things. And it goes in Romans to say everything from creeping things to four-footed animals and the like. We have worshipped it and we've given our life, our time, our resources, our passion to these things that are perishing rather than to the eternal God who's blessed forever. Amen? And if you would just let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart today, he'll show you right where you have done that as he's shown me and many others in this room where we have seen our bent towards sin and idolatry. The reformer John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory, and we're just popping out idols like crazy. We take good things, like even family and athletics and, and the beauty of creation. These are good things. These are things that God has given us to, to help uh, worship God and to advance his kingdom on earth, and yet we've, we've de-godded God, and we begin to worship those good things that he's given us. And, and so uh, everyone, every single individual in the word, world is a worshiper. And there's an undeniable religious impulse within every man, woman, and child. And yet now, because of our fallen condition, that's an undeniable uh, impulse to worship anything but God. Uh, and so we create our own religions uh, we're kind of up for whatever as long as it doesn't step on my toes. And so this system that we're going to be reading up here brought on by this false prophet is really going to tickle people's ears. And it's really going to like um, to, to fill this space in their heart that only Jesus can fill. And yet uh, there's going to be this false religion that's going to seem to cover over that desire uh, in, their, in their heart. Now, uh, I was reading... Um, Exalting Jesus in Revelation, which has been a great Christ-centered commentary. And let me read uh, what this author wrote. And uh, let me think here. I think we've got some pictures here in just a minute. But it says, here is the establishment of false religion on a worldwide scale. Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, animists, etc. All persons of faith will join hands and hearts in worship praise and adoration of the antichrist so there's going to be this one world religion this ecumenical movement uh, for the whole world to come and worship the antichrist and then to continue to read in an article titled the un faithful eye global religion james harder writes the secretary general of the united nations millennium peace summit <clears throat> thinks that all religious Apples fall from the same tree and are equally delicious. At a recent international meeting, he told 1,000 delegates, quote, that religions need to accept the validity of all religions or else it will be difficult to attain world peace. <clears throat> Recently, the notion has emerged that the pathway to peace necessitates the unification of all religions. The Universal Religion Initiative, or the URI, as we have on the screen, recently convened with 300 people present representing 39 religions and which, quote, religious people will no longer, oh, excuse me, I skipped a line, and which signed a charter which officially launched the movement. The goal is that there will come a day in which, 
quote, religious people will no longer insist on a single truth. Episcopal Bishop Swing, a leader in the movement, goes even further, quote, there will have to be a godly ceasefire, a temporary truce, where the absolute exclusive claims of each religion will be honored, but an agreed-upon neutrality will be exercised in term of proselytizing, condemning, murdering, or dominating. These will not be tolerated in the united religious zone. And so what we have here is the beginning of what's been prophesied in Scripture, and really for decades we've seen it in a lot of different ways, an ecumenical movement where there's no real truth. And as we have heard in our modern culture, um, what's your truth? You know, that's your truth, speak your truth. And as uh, we spent a lot of time evangelizing in Nepal this year with actually Israelis and Germans, um, this is a popular uh, idea that's all across the, the world right now. It's just whatever your truth is. There's no one truth. And as North Carolina evangelist Vance Havner says it will, a house big enough for all of us is too big. Okay. And what that means is that there is a truth and his name is Jesus. He himself says, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life and no one comes to the father, but by me as the apostles spoke just after the day of Pentecost, Uh, that there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved than the name of Jesus. And so there are absolutes within Christianity. It is a narrow way, and we, we preach that narrow way very lovingly, but with boldness and great courage. Of course, we would agree with uh, man, the, the murdering and domineering of the other religions, man, that is not how the kingdom of God comes upon those lands. And yet, um, you know, there's going to come the day where we will be thrown in prison for speaking forth the truth of the gospel and salvation through none other than Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. And, and uh, really the, the damnation, if you will, of anyone who would reject him, as we're going to see in the book of Revelation chapter 20, they'll be cast into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone night and day forever and ever. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But what we do with that is that we, our hearts long for those people to not perish, that we would go and reach them with the message of salvation, that they might be saved, not condemned. In verse 13, this prophet, so we already see that he's getting people to uh, worship uh, the the first beast. Um, You recall from last week that, uh, this first beast had took something like a head wound that caused him to appear to have died, but he rose from the dead and caused all peoples, tribes, and nations to marvel at him. And, uh, and of course, he stole that out of Jesus's playbook. That's Jesus's thing, you know, and we've all seen the jokes or maybe experienced this in our own workplaces, you know, where we're in the board meeting and they're wondering how to deal with this certain problem. And so you offer up a suggestion and maybe we could do something like this and, and everyone just kind of does this. And then the popular guy around the table says the exact same idea. That's such a great idea. I can't believe nobody thought of that. And you're, you know, and that's what's going on with Jesus here. You know, he's like, I, 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 I did this. I had the wound where I, I died. I actually died. Like people pierced me through my, my heart exploded in my chest. Blood and water came out. It was evident that I, that I rose from the dead. That was me. And I showed myself alive for 40 days. Remember, remember that? By many infallible proofs. I was seen by over 500 people at one time. 
Where was the marveling there? That was my idea. And, and of course, you know, the devil, he's not as original as you'd think. He just doesn't have that many good ideas. He was really stupid to exalt himself against God and be ca- cast out of heaven. Like, this, this guy doesn't have the greatest ideas in the world. And yet, he can be deceptive. And he gets a great following here. <clears throat> and so this false prophet causes people to worship him. They marvel at him that he, he appears to have died and come back to life. And verse 13 says that this false prophet is going to perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And so he's going he's gonna to be a guy that can do signs and wonders. I don't have that many tricks up my sleeve, you know. I, I kind of have, hmm, 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 you know. I got this thing. Okay, I, you know, I haven't gotten that big of a following um, just with that. I can hold a pencil in it. You know, but it more pushes people away. They're not ready for something like that. But the false prophet, man, he's a crafty fellow, right? And, and yet signs and wonders, you guys, that's not the telltale. All right. That's not the, that is not the validation of whether someone is true or not. Okay. It's not the, it can be a validation. It's not the validation. And Deuteronomy chapter 13 tells us if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you've not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or those dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, so if it goes against the word of God and who the scripture has established God to be in nature and in character, uh, then, I mean, the Old Testament, it was a stoning thing. For us, it's a shunning thing. And, and, you know, when you read the scriptures in the days of Moses, Pharaoh's wise men, sorcerers, they could mimic, you know, they could turn water into blood just like Moses and Aaron did. They could turn their staffs into snakes just like Moses and Aaron. They had dark powers, all right? They meddled in the dark arts, okay? Uh, and yet in, in the case of the serpents, uh, Moses' staff ate the staff of Janus and Jambres. He just ate those snakes right up and said, you guys, you know, very tricky, but I'm still better than you. You know, ate them up. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, that some will come and work miracles, even in Jesus's name, but they're false followers and they will even be condemned. Okay. So that's signs and wonders. It's not the sign. Okay. Let's stick to the Bible as our absolute authority on what truth is. And John has this little phrase here that, so he performs great signs. He even, so he's kind of like flabbergasted by this, kind of like shocked by this. He even makes fire come down from heaven and on earth in the sight of men. Jesus prophesied that this would happen in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. It's a prophecy of the end times. And in that, he says that false Christs and false prophets will rise and they will show great signs and wonders to deceive. If it was even possible, even the elect would be deceived. 
And we thank God that he preserves his own. Amen. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a passage that should be a companion piece for us uh, for chapter 13. So if you're a note taker, maybe even in the margin of your Bible, you might just write 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, uh, because it's, it's, man, it goes right along with this, because it tells us what's happening in this time, that all of this antichrist, prophet stuff, it should have been expected, and it should be expected. Now let's look at 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 3. Uh, let's see here. So it says, the, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So the day we're talking about here is the end times, or the day of the Lord. Um, and that's not going to come until, first of all, there's an apostasy. People who say they're Christians are going to fall away. And then the man of sin will be revealed. We know him as the Antichrist. This is the beginning of that day. Okay, He comes like right after the rapture of the church. He's right up there at the beginning. He's also known as the son of perdition. Verse 4 says he opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know that... Um, that We've studied this in the last few weeks that there's going to be a third temple in Israel. It's going to be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. And there in the temple, Antichrist will set himself up to be worshipped there in the temple. He's going to exalt himself against all that is called God or anything that is worshipped. The Bible in the book of Daniel tells us, chapter 9, that he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offerings there and just basically say, just go ahead and just worship this bad boy, you know? And, uh, and, and it's called the abomination of desolation that Jesus speaks of. Now, that was just a little, what's going on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Now, go back in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Look at verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, this is the Holy Spirit, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Well, what does it look like when the lawless one comes on the scene? Verse 9 tells us, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So a mark of the end time is that there is going to be a falling away of people who would call themselves Christians, okay? And there's going to be great deception put on people who would not receive the truth of who Jesus is as taught in the scripture, but rather they believe the lie. And so because they themselves reject Jesus, we just read it, God himself will send to them a strong delusion so that they would just go ahead and believe the lies that are out there. And we all know how frustrating that is, right? When people are believing lies and you're like, Hey, whoa, man, how are you drinking this Kool-Aid right now? This is so obviously anti-Bible and counter-scripture. Like, what is going on? 
And yet, I would just plead with you as the pastor of this church that this sort of duping happens today even among you guys. And it could even happen among the leadership of this church. We have to be founded upon the scriptures. We have to know our Bibles. And for those of you, even in this room, who you have not yielded your entire life to Jesus, that you would have received the truth of who Jesus is and his plan for you and how he's come to save you by his blood and call you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I fear for you. I fear for you that you would just be, if, if just the right formula came along of just something that tickled your ears just right, some YouTube clip that came across your Facebook page, something your friend sends you, some magazine that you pick up walking along the sidewalk here in Prineville, you just that right, if it was worded just right to, to just tickle your ear and just make you realize that, that you're okay on your own and your, your righteousness in and of yourself is pretty good. Don't, don't worry about all this Jesus stuff, all this call to, to give your life for Jesus and to lay down your rights and your pride and all of you, just all your self-righteousness. Man, that is just, that's too much of a sacrifice for you. But this, this little tasty trifle over here, I fear for you, church, that if it's said just right, you're just gonna, you're gonna take the bite. You're going you're gonna to snag that hook. It's going to get caught in your lip, and you're going to be drug off. This is biblical stuff we're talking about here. And I would just plead with you to be people of the book. Be people of the Bible. Be people who are reading the word, and as you read the word, you're obeying the word. I would just encourage you guys to be people of the church. The scripture gives us a family called the church so that we live with one another and we help sharpen one another. And when one person falls, the other picks them up. I would encourage you to be a part of a local church. And hey, may I offer the services of this one so that you have pastors and elders who help shepherd you and tend you and protect doctrine and help you so that when you, you see that YouTube video, you're not just like, all of a sudden I'm going over to this you know special place that you know, meets in a tent down by the river or whatever, you know, but come and talk to your pastors and say, man, is this a good, you know, what, how are we lining up with the Bible here? Because the New Testament gives elders and pastors to help tend the word and help protect the sheep from wolves that would come and try to dupe you. We live in a day where there's an emphasis on signs and wonders, even among Christians, and that's frightening. We know that the New Testament shows there's signs and there's wonders, and they validate the gospel, but they never replace the gospel. They never replace the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. They never replace obedience to the word that we have been given that's profitable for doctrine and exhortation and comfort and rebuke and encouragement. Signs and wonders never replace, they only validate this. And I have personally seen within the signs and wonders movement, people get sucked away to just go live by themselves and go worship the desires of their own hearts. That's a scary, scary place to be. Quoting from David Guzik, years ago, there was a large multi-denominational conference of people who thought this way, and their slogan on a huge banner over the conference platform read, unity under signs and wonder. And that's a unity that Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet could all get behind. 
Yeah, unity under signs and wonders. I'd say there's, there's unity, but not at the expense of truth. Not at the expense of the, for the sake of the gospel. So this guy, he's able to make fire come down from heaven. Also been done before, by the way. Elijah could do this. Uh, the, the two prophets that we've always already read about in Revelation, they do this. And so again, like, wow, pretty awesome, but already been done. Okay. Um, just kind of stealing from someone else's playbook here. And Revelation confirms that the three main weapons of Satan are accusation, opposition, and imitation. And we've seen those three things already within this book. Let's move on. Verse 14. This, so we're talking about the second beast. We're talking about the lamb-like beast that has the voice of a dragon. We're talking about the false prophet. Okay. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. So again, there's deception. He leads people astray. He causes people to wander. And he makes an image to the beast and of the beast, okay? So it's, it's to him, it's some sort of an offering, it's some sort of um, gift to the beast, but it's also of the beast in the scriptures. And they are to worship this image, this idol, this statue, whatever it may be. You know, in John chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, I've come in my father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. It's exactly what is happening here. This is something that's prophesied of in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16. It says, for indeed, I will rise or raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those who still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. This is known to be a prophecy of the Antichrist. And so some even would say that this, uh, some judgment against him, even in the tribulation period, maybe it's through the wound that he received, that his eye uh, is gone and his arm becomes withered during this period. If I could quote H.A. Ironside from the beginning of the 1900s, he said, for this idle shepherd, the Jews are even now waiting and little of them realize it. At a Zionist Congress some years ago before the recent war, and by the way, he's talking about World War I in his day, Max Nordo declared, according to the published reports, quote, we are ready to welcome any man as our Messiah who will lead us back to our own land and establish us there in prosperity. And at the time, Max Nordo was a so-called reformed Jew who'd given up the messianic hope that had been set forth in Holy Scriptures. Really, they're like, hey, anyone that could come on the seat and take care of these problems for us, I'll worship him. He can be my Messiah. But only recently, Ironside said, and so again, this is nearly 100 years ago, Dr. Mosehan of the Hebrew College of Jaffa was touring America in the interests of the same Zionist movement. 
I had the privilege of hearing him give an address at the University of California. In the course of his remarks, he said, quote, think of all the great religious leaders who've come out of the East. Moses arose in the East. Buddha, Confucius, Jesus, and Muhammad all arose in the East. And we say to you people of the West with confidence that if you will restore the Jew to his ancestral home, it will not be long until we give you another great religious leader who will perhaps transcend all who have gone before. Ironside said that another Christian physician and I who'd gone there together looked at one another in amazement. We felt that we were listening to a John the Baptist of the Antichrist. So startling was the announcement. You know, I'm sure Ironside would just be baffled to know since he wrote this, Israel has become a nation again. That there's a movement in Israel right now called the Temple Institute. We showed slides from it a few weeks ago. And their mission is to rebuild the temple. They've got the articles of the temple already made. All they need is some man of peace to come on the scene and to bring a peace so that they can uh, have, have permission by the Muslims to go up on the Temple Mount, survey, and build this third temple. They're ready to go. They're, they're crowdfunding right now on the internet, and they've got all the articles. They've got the red heifer being bred. And in my last visit to Israel in 2017, the, the man of the Temple Institute, he's begun no longer looking for a man to be the Messiah, but he is now at a point where he's looking for the temple to be the Messiah. Once the temple is built, that will bring this, this peace that the world has always longed for. So there's stuff going on in Israel right now that's leading to this. And that rebuilt temple gives the location for this image uh, to be set up. Let's look at this image just a little bit. Verse 15. <clears throat> this false prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this is an interesting thing. It's reminiscent of Daniel chapter 3 when Nebuchadnezzar built that 90 foot tall statue out in the plains of Dura and demanded everybody to worship it. And there were three guys that wouldn't worship it. Do you remember their names? All right, go with their pagan names. That's cool, you know. Um, yeah, you're right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They would not bow. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus was there in the midst of them. It's a great thing. Similar thing here. An image is made, and the whole world is going to be forced to worship this thing. You don't worship this thing, you're going to be killed. You're going to be slaughtered, okay? Uh, it's an interesting idol that we read of here okay it's an idol you know in the psalms in 135 15 through 18 the psalmist mocks those who would worship these idols of gold silver and wood that just they don't have ears they don't have oh they have ears and eyes but they don't hear or see they don't have breath but now there's an idol that people begin to worship that it breathes and it moves and it's aware of what's going on um around it this is what's called the abomination of desolation in daniel chapter 9 and in Matthew chapter 24, it's this time where sacrifice and offering are done away with in the temple and the, the Antichrist demands to be worshipped. Now, it's so cool to be in 2019, almost 2020, because to have read the scripture back in you know, the olden days, you'd be like, oh man, some image, you know, and, and all of a sudden it's like moving and talking and knows what's going on around it. And, and you know, nowadays we can sort of see how technology and different images and whether hieroglyphics or I wrote it down so that I wouldn't mess up saying it, but 
Hydro dams. I don't know what. Okay. You know, holographs. that it? Oh, thank you. Woo. Yeah. Got a one term of welding degree here in case you're wondering what sort of education I've got. All right. You know, but with, but with the camera systems and, you know, all of the technology, we got the FaceTime, we got Skype, we got, we're aware of what's going on all around the world in the blink of an eye. We know what's going on somehow this image and, and really ultimately at the end of the day, there's demonic stuff going on. So this image has demonic stuff happening and anyone who's not worshiping, he's granted the power uh, to kill that individual. Um, Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. So there's no exception, no matter what your cultural status or class or caste, there's no exception. You've got to receive this mark. It's got to be on your right hand or it's got to be on uh, your forehead. It's this mark, and the language mark here is, there's, it's a stamp or it's some sort of an image, or maybe an engraving, perhaps some sort of tattoo. Uh, the ancient Greek word for mark uh, isn't normally gene- uh, applied to people, so there's a little bit of freedom as to what this thing uh, could look like. And it's interesting, I remember being 14 years old and going through the book of Revelation for the first time, and it was right when microchips started coming on the scene. And I just remember my youth pastor being like, you guys, you won't believe it. There's this, there's these microchips and you insert them into your, uh, into your hand. And of course, at the time it was the technology is that the battery of this chip only charges in your right hand or in your forehead and it's serial number six, 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 or, you know, I think half of that might not have been true or all of it. I don't know. But however, when you do look at the science here, you can see how there will be something that there's something that they use here. And recently I read an article and it says that a human microchip implant is typically an identifying integrated circuit device or RFID transponder encased in silicate glass and implanted in the body of a human being. This type of subdermal implant usually contains a unique ID number that can be linked to information contained in an external database, such as personal identification, law enforcement, medical history, medications, allergies, and contact information. In June, 2000, uh, June 28, 2019, Sweden is seeing a rise in microchipping. Having mi- microchipping parties, there's a picture there of Hannah. Hannah receives a microchip believing one day we will all be chipped. This is the next big thing that will happen. Happy cyborg birthday to you, she said. Uh, and the interviewer responded. So, uh, and so what we have now, we just have a technology that one will get, as our next verse says in verse 17, no one may be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. And so we know that, just as an example, I don't believe that microchips right now are the mark of the beast. You know, I, I don't, I don't, we're not there. We're not in the time of the mark of the beast yet, okay? So if you want to get a microchip, get your, your pet planted with one so that you never lose Fido again, you know, that's, it's all cool, you know, but, uh, but there will come a day that in order to get the microchip, you have to worship the image of the beast. See, that's the problem. Okay. It's the worshiping of the false Christ so that you can receive this thing or whatever it is, you know, tattoo, some sort of a mark. Okay. And then you will be able to be a part of this one world economy. It's not until you worship the beast that you can in verse 17, 
buy and sell um, or receive the number of his name. We live in a time where globalization is so important, whether it's with the economy, whether it's with terror threats, whether it's with the world wars that are able to happen so quickly now. Globalization is so important uh, in our world today, and so we see that this is just going to be totally taken advantage of uh, in the book of um, Revelation. We're going to read later about this mark in chapter 14, 15, 16, and chapter 20, and in those spots you see that it's just reaffirmed, you have to worship the beast to get the mark so that you can buy and sell and trade. And if you don't worship the beast, but rather you, you're obedient to the Lord in that time, uh, you will be murdered. You'll be killed for not uh, worshiping the beast. <clears throat> uh, verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And uh, we'll have the worship team come on up. In the studying that I've done, there's, there's nothing really very solid um, on what this is. I think at the time of the Antichrist, you're going to be able to read this. You know, an individual can read this, and this is speaking to them where it says, hey, you're reading this, you're around during the tribulation period, here is wisdom. Jesus even says that in Matthew 24, like if you're around, this is the abomination, abomination of desolation happening. Here's wisdom, let the reader understand. The number is 666. There's so much out, there's so much, there's so many books and just weird and wacko philosophies and most of them, I mean, well, none of them so far. Uh, anything that's like past, none of that has come true. It's only been hurtful. So we want to be very careful not to just, you know, throw some things out there. But, um, but we do know that uh, the number of completion is seven. And we have learned from the book of Revelation that when something is repeated twice, it's very important. When something is repeated three times, it's super important. Such as when God is called holy, holy, holy. And so some have said that the number of God is, uh, that describes him in his holiness is 777. And whereas the number of man is the number of six, the Antichrist, who's just a man, he's not God at all. He, he doesn't even compare. He's, he's, he's just completely falls flat on his face. He's just a man, just a man, just a man. Okay? And so we want to come today and we want to worship the God that is holy, holy, holy. And as we do, since our text today, you can set your things aside. Since our text today showed the anti-Holy Spirit, let me just share some scripture on the screen of who the, the real Holy Spirit is. Okay, so if you're new to Christianity or you're new to reading your Bible, we believe in what is called the Trinity, okay? Trinity or triunity or three in one. It's a bit of a mystery in Christianity, but we believe that there is one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the Father. The Son's not the Holy Spirit. The Son's not the Father. Three unique and individual personalities within one Godhead, okay? Uh, they each have different roles, and the role of the Holy Spirit 
is to point people to Jesus, to testify of Jesus. And in John, we have Jesus spend time talking about the Holy Spirit and, and who this is who's going to come on the scene. In John 14, 16, he says, I will pray to the Father. So you have the Son, he'll pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so the Old Testament, the Old Testament was, it was about people who were trying to be good people, fallen short, they could never do it on their best day. Only a few men would just, would just rise up as champions at certain times because the Holy Spirit would come on them for a certain task and then the Holy Spirit would leave them. And the part of the New Testament, the, the new covenant for Christians is that God said, hey, this is all part of my plan to show you, you could never make it on your own. I'm going to come, Jesus is going to come, he's going to die for all of your sins, all the mess ups, all your rebellion, and then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can know me, so you can live for me, so you can live in power for me, so you can accomplish great things for me, and as we just read, he will be with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come and go depending on what task needs to be done. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending him. Get ready. And they waited and the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. And if you're a Christian today, the good news is you have the Holy Spirit in you to give you new life and power so that you want to live all out for Jesus. In John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, by the way, one of his nicknames is the helper, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I've taught to you. So one role of the Holy Spirit is that he's going to help you know this. He's going to help you know all the things that Jesus taught. He's going to sink them down into your heart. And when all the time is needed, oh, what was that? And you're able to speak forth the things from the scripture. In John chapter 16, it says when he's come, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe even today, that is a work that he has done in your heart. If you came into those doors, you came into this room, you were not a Christian, you were not following Jesus. And just today, you've just been feeling like just the tapping on your heart, conviction for your sin. You know one day you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for your sin. He convicts the world of righteousness, and you know you're not righteous apart from Jesus. And he convicts you of judgment, that one day you will be judged and God's wrath is upon you unless you come to Jesus. That is a work that the Holy Spirit does. And even today, some of you may be feeling that work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell things, you things to come. He will glorify Jesus. For he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit, he's all about declaring the truth and making sure people are focused on Jesus. Now we have, and just this is very quick, the third last role of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Believe here at Calvary Chapel that there's, there's two subsequent works of the Holy Spirit. That, that when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in you. He gives you power to obey, to live for him. You're a new creation. He gives you a new heart. 
And then as we live for Jesus and spend time with Jesus, he pours out his spirit on us. He just pours himself out upon us and gives us great power and great courage so that we can open up our mouth and tell people about Jesus, even when it might cost us our lives. And that's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the last verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit baptizes us with his power, he just, just pours himself out upon us. We're given great bravery, great courage to go into Prineville. That's kind of the Jerusalem of the story. And tell people about Jesus in Prineville. And then go out to Crook County. That's kind of the Samaria part of the story. And then to go to Nepal and to go to Uganda and to go to Vietnam and to go to the Congo and to tell people about Jesus. And so as we